we're assuming that we're the largest node runners for blockchain nodes in the world. We um, have a few things that are unique um, uh, when it comes to uh, middleware in order to deploy and manage nodes. Um, you can go to our website, go to our marketplace and deploy 70 different node types across 30 different protocols with like three clicks and a credit card. Hello, Stellar community. Welcome to episode 20 of the Stellar podcast. Pretty crazy that we've made it this far. Very excited today to welcome Constantine Richter to our show. He's the founder and CEO of Blockdaemon. That's a blockchain infrastructure platform built for developers and enterprises. Uh, Running nodes is difficult. Uh, it can be a pain to set up and then particularly to monitor those nodes. So Constantine and his team at Blockdaemon are alleviating a lot of that pain by creating a very simple to set up and run, maintain uh, your blockchain nodes. Constantine has a wide range of knowledge um, in lots of different blockchains and collects that knowledge here for us um, to open up some of the insights and information that uh, he's found in blockchain. And, and running a business, uh, making money from blockchain. So let's let's jump right in. Yeah, so I'm Constantine Richter. I'm the CEO and founder of Blockdaemon. I um, am, a, I guess, the awful term serial entrepreneur. I've been building software platforms for the last decade. Uh, prior to that, I worked in strategy and business development specifically for building uh, mobile networks for companies like Nokia and Deutsche Telekom and T-Mobile, um, trying to find ways to monetize um, digital networks pretty early. Uh, I got um, and then fell into the entrepreneurial um, mousetrap. Uh, and I built SaaS B2B platforms. And as an entrepreneur, when you build SaaS B2B platforms, you're looking for network effect, which is um, you, know, you want software to have the potential to either just exponentially grow very aggressively uh, but ideally, you have a network effect, which um, normally requires a marketplace. And so you're always thinking around how to turn a software utility into a marketplace where it can experience network effect. And so, um, and what it excited me initially around uh, 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 blockchain, besides Bitcoin and being an early um, fan and, 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 and holder of Bitcoin, uh, was that tokenization provides an inbuilt incentive mechanism in order to scale and run these networks. So you have this sort of genesis or sort of, you know, this big bang event and can birth a network that actually has liquidity and value pumped into it from the get-go. So you can fast track a lot of things. Blockdaemon um, was started in the summer of 2017. Uh, we became sort of production grade and raised our first, uh, you know, kind of pre-seed, seed round uh, two years ago. Um, when, um, we, you know, we started, uh, at that point we were three people and, and, uh, but then, you know, we closed around with Comcast, with the Heroku founders that run a fund called Heavybit and a couple of other more enterprise grade SaaS platform VCs that were interested in the space. And so we consciously made a choice to go more after software performance focused investors than crypto investors. And uh, a choice I haven't uh, now, I have to say, I haven't regretted. There were moments in between where I was like, oh, you know, I should have taken 
more crazy money, which I always refuse to take. But, um, you know, when the crisis hit in later 2018, 2019, I felt like, you know, it's been hard to keep traditional investors excited about our space. Um, but I think that has now changed again. So we're assuming we're assuming that we're the largest node runners for blockchain nodes in the world. We um, have a few things that are unique um, uh, when it comes to uh, middleware in order to deploy and manage nodes. Um, you can go to our website, go to our marketplace and deploy 70 different node types across 30 different protocols with like three clicks and a credit card. But that was the the core and, and the sort of genesis uh, block the story of uh, block Damon. Wow, that's uh, that's fantastic. I really, really appreciate the the focus on the business of the thing and making sure that it's it's well funded and um, the whole idea that you have to start with uh, what makes money and then build out from there to whatever vision you might have in the future. Um, I think that's kind of, in some ways, it's a unique perspective, but it's extremely important. Otherwise, you just don't last that long. Um, so speak speak to for a bit about. Um, so you're a you're a you're a company, you're an entity, but you're running blockchains on decentralized networks. But how does that work if you're running, you know, if you end up running, you know, fifty percent of Ethereum's nodes, should that happen, how is that not a bad thing? Um, that, you know, oh, wait, oops, you know, we ran out of money, Block Damon has to shut down. Does Ethereum go away because of that? Yeah, I mean, it's a very far out example, but let's entertain it. I mean, so first off, um, it's important to understand um, controlling a node and providing tools for other people to do stuff, right? So, mm -hmm. um, like people use Docker images. You know, like Docker is a tool that's pretty widely used, right? And so um, I would compare it more to that, right? And so there's certain open source um, and certain components of our tools are also open sourced. And so um, providing tooling to and monitoring plugins, for example, for people to manage their nodes doesn't mean we have control of the nodes. Like we could go away and nothing would change. You know, it still would be your node. We might not update or sell you a software that allows you to automate auto monitoring of your node, um, but then you know, you'll find another way to do it. And so first off, it's important to understand what that means, right? And so, uh, but obviously a, a good question, specifically for the fully managed and hosted scenario. Uh, in that instance, uh, obviously the, it depends a lot on how you architecturally set it up, which is, you know, we only ever um, run full VMs in individual data centers that um, also our customer can access. Uh, the physical VM and and has the uh, dominant rights over it. So even if I uh, would, uh, you know, block demon would cease to exist, you still would have your node in an Amazon data center you could access and the node would operate until, you know, it's not updated anymore. Um, and, uh, and then you'd have to update it or find someone else to do that for you. And so it's important to understand the nuances there. Um, in, in a lot of cases, specifically on orchestration, um, it's really important for the performance and the safety of the network to make sure that uh, a certain, as I said, the the weakest node in the network is the weak link, you know. And so problems that network have, and Stella is one of them, you know, where the network suddenly stalls, for example. Um, and those are, you know, things that a good orchestration tool can help um, alleviate. And so ultimately, it's a choice. Um, 
but decentralization is a complex subject and there's a lot of different layers to it. Uh, the first and most important layer is to ensure that not all your nodes sit in one data center, right? And so the first thing is, and we've done countless case studies and things we looked at early on where, you know, 90% of all nodes of relevance in the blockchain space sit on Amazon East, you know? And so people don't know that, but that's not great. Like that's a much larger um, issue for decentralization than people using Docker images, for example, initially. Uh, because you could actually, this data center could go down and a network could go down. Um, and so, you know, like, so first off is making sure that sufficient data centers and nodes are operated, that there's no dependency on any one data center or two data centers, even where, you know, whatever, electricity shortages, all sorts of different things could happen that could impede the well-being of a network. Then on top of that, you know, you need to have um, the, the Distribution of nodes also based on power and voting consensus mechanisms. So making sure that not just one entity controls all the nodes on the consensus side, right? And so um, uh, that's important. And that's actually an architectural issue more than anything else. Um, and then on top of that, then you have tooling considerations. You know, I think Docker is a potential huge security uh, issue uh, if people would think and choose to look at it. Um, but people don't. It's it's really complicated to find the true balance between what's a totally secure piece of like a, a decentralized network that's um, um, completely un that you can't attack on any vector um, is uh, is uh, nearly impossible. Can you speak a little bit to the that third layer security concern where the tooling becomes the attack vector? How does how does that third layer the Docker image instance, the uh, example, where's the where's the attack vector on the tooling? Well, so it 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 uh, well it, it and it really so so there's actually great reports filed every year around security issues of large scale software open source tools like Docker, for example, um, and you know there's whole reports on it that people can read up on. Um, I think it's a uh, most folks know. You know what that looks like when you're really deeply technical into it but again it depends on if you look at it right and so if you choose to make that an issue um and and so i think the but the first premise of decentralization is so you want to be network independent and you want to be uh you want to enable uh, a good amount of independent uh, stakeholders to operate nodes efficiently you know, and then the next degree is, are the tools and the physicality of things um, uh, protected? I would say most networks are still at the first layer stage and maybe sort of moving towards the second to some extent, but that's sort of currently where Bitcoin is, right? Uh, where you have hash power aligned with three folks in one territory or something. And so, um, it's still very early for all these decentralized networks. And so in order to, so, so there's different life cycles and different tooling across the lifespan of these networks and maturity. And so very early on, as you said, actually, with Stella is a good example of a network that chooses not to be overly decentralized in order to ensure performance of the network, right? And so um, there are certain choices people make based on certain factors and certain risks that are acceptable to the community and others that aren't. You know, and so, um, and so that's the the key factor, really. Uh, but it's it's not a it's not a 
there's no one answer to any of these particular mm -hmm. questions. It's a little similar, like on the economical side, as we've touched on earlier, there's so many factors that each network is sort of kind of unique. You know, what's true in one network is not necessarily true in another. And the same is true for decentralization in a network. Um, and so for us, obviously, the, the, the uh, one is we provide principal tools, open source tooling. Um, people can use that. They can check the code. They can take a look at it. There's peer reviews, all the sort of standard stuff that you do in order to ensure open source integrity. Um, and uh, of course, there's only ever a certain degree of absolute security with any open source tool. Um, and then you have the closed tool stuff where the protection is specifically on the contract layer, right? So if a bank comes and pays us, then, you know, I'm a Comcast-backed commercial entity here in the U.S. We have SLAs, contracts, um, et cetera, et cetera, right? And so there's different ways you can find security and manage that network risk if you would want it, right? Um, and so, uh, but yeah, it's an interesting story for us. The Personally, the way I think of it is um, I think networks move from centralization to decentralization over time. And I'd say we're maybe 30% in that journey. Uh, for most networks, Stella is actually a little more evolved than most. You know, if you think about it, I'm not someone who said, hey, there should be 10,000 Stella nodes, otherwise it's not decentralized. You know, I know that's not true. You know, like it, a network can be decentralized with three nodes as long as the interests aren't all, uh, you know, they're not controlled by the same entity. Mm -hmm. And so I think Stella has a good, um, has a, a more maturity than most networks in that space, but it's still a journey, right? And so um, we'll 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 see, you know, we'll see how that the tooling landscape will evolve over time, um, according to it. But um, yeah, and so for us, the long-term vision of where we want to be is more um, probably a data dog type of example of a tooling platform, um, if that makes sense. Where it's a lot mm -hmm. around plugin tooling and monitoring specifically of your own node. You know, where it's like, this is my node in my cloud account or in my data center, like only I can touch it, but I can use tooling that doesn't jeopardize the integrity of my node. It can't push data onto my node. It can only pull data out of it that allows me to trigger certain behaviors to manage my node. And so that's sort of the vision for Block Daemon at its uh, most evolved state. Yeah, that makes a ton of sense to me and definitely seems like a service that is useful. Um, I couple years ago got into serverless functions like lambda functions and there's a company called serverless.com yeah. and they have the the cli and the dashboards and stuff that allow you to manage and create all the very complex nature of running a service <clears throat> on serverless functions um, just by creating a really good tooling around all of it but they don't own any of your um, serverless functions they just give you the tooling to manage it yourself um which increases the adoption level of something like a serverless function when it's easy to, to manage it. Yeah, yeah, no, and that's and all those things are fascinating, you know. And I went deep into a rabbit hole around all that stuff initially, that nearly derailed us because I was so fascinated in this sort of decentralized serverless type of stuff initially. That the problem was how do I make money of that now, you know? And so uh, I feel like the the focus of for us and the need to make money means that we're uh, always on the fourth, we're always at the current state of decentralization because I can only make money with what I can sell now. <laughs> yeah. You know, and so it's kind of intriguing, you know, like it's a tough spot because 
Uh, but but ultimately, I'm very happy to be in that position because I always say to my investors, I always feel I'm in a knife fight, you know, like because I have to carve out like business models. I have to understand the latest evolutions in order to be ahead of making sure that we can partake in them. Um, and also to think about unit economics and 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 running these things in a way that somewhat has a shot at profitability, as well as break even over time and becoming a billion dollar entity on top of it. And so, it's um, it's it's a it. I think it makes us commercially more viable. Um, but again, you know, hyperbolic startup CEO uh, uh, warning. But uh, it um, it helps me. Um, stay real in this space because the opposite of this is and there's countless examples and i want to name them but projects that might raise hundreds of millions you know where it's like we don't know whenever we're going to launch if at all you know like kind of it's like oh you can build for seven years without any market interaction um and then launch something and hope it works and i mean that's not to say that that's not possible um i just feel like you're missing a lot of opportunity um, to sharpen your edges with real market interaction. <laughs> yeah. Awesome. So what's still exciting about blockchain? Why are VCs, why are uh, tech companies interested in investing in blockchain anymore? Uh, yeah, I, great question. And I don't know if they are, frankly. I mean, it's it's they're a lot less interested, um, mostly because not because they're not fascinated by the potential of the technology, but by the traction of physical market interaction. And I think a lot of that has to do with a lot of the really smart people in the space were involved or are involved in projects that secured so much capital that they don't have to interact with the market for another two, three years. And so I think that has is a factor in it. Um, I, I think what gets me excited personally is that I believe I really truly believe that the only way we can uh, retain any degree of data privacy as well as financial freedom is via blockchain powered trust networks. And so the more you're in it, the more clearly you see it. And I feel like a crisis like the one we're currently experiencing really, really focuses one's viewpoint on that, which is, you know, one of the funny things to me is when the US government is or funny, it's tragic, really um, wants to send out, you know, 300 million dollar 300 million checks with 1200 um for 1200 bucks and then you know the whole thing gets delayed by two weeks because they want to print on you know the president's signature on it um you kind of just wonder about the potential of what a digital currency could do here in order to distribute these funds efficiently um all the banks are going to take i think seven percent of these funds when they get paid out via accounts and so you know it just shows how inefficient these legacy systems are and how they're not in really in the, they don't serve the uh, populace, the, the citizens uh, of a nation um, built on a, uh, a capitalistic value system any longer. And so I see that really, really clearly. And, and I really want to be part of building these payment rails that allow for much more imminent transfer of value, as well as ensuring identity and security, you know? And so um, I think blockchains really are at the core of that. I think. Uh, most investors, quite frankly, um, and we got very lucky with ours, but are very focused on general market perceptions. I think some of them have strong theses, um, but obviously they need to keep capitalization life cycles in mind. And so right now it's kind of funny when you talk to most investors. Um, there was a funny meme on Twitter 
it's just like you know the general like i love when all the vcs come out like oh we really help our portfolio companies and the most 95 percent of that help is giving the piece of advice of like don't die you know like just cut everything you can and be around for as long as possible it's like well that's not you know that's not advice that's hard to come by um the the advice that's actually hard is what is the right balance of risk here when i have a certain amount of runway and certain things i think need to be built and i can take a first you know first mover advantage i can help scale networks and be an inflection point in early network creation which we've proven um, that there is a lot of value if you participate in networks that become dominant very early and so finding that right balance of like not just stopping everything we do but to continue to build um is uh, uh complex and that, that's one of the personal challenges i have is because i see opportunity and i want to continue to build and in my dialogue with my investors those are the pertinent conversations where i'm like you know my interest isn't necessarily having the longest runway in the world um, my interest is to uh, actually uh, you know bring on the revolution of a decentralized financial infrastructure and I see opportunity for that, you know, and so I want to move after that opportunity. And then the good news is, you know, I'm kind of crazy that way. And then my investors force me to become realistic <laughs> about it. And within that, we hope we can build sustainable um, uh, and aggressive long-term value for participants in the block demon ecosystem. That's, that's a fantastic answer. Um, yeah. Wow. I'm, I'm extremely excited for your future. Or oh, just over this uh, this conversation, um, I can't wait to see what happens over the next few years as you iterate along with the market and become that that uh, um, node management tool, monitoring tool. Um, yeah, it's gonna be it's gonna be super interesting to see where that goes. It's running a business and an entity in an insanely dynamic market. Um, where macro factors, as well as our micro factors, our own cryptocurrency fluctuations, you know, which are now even elevated within this macro environment, uh, uh, you know, it's hard. I mean, I'm also like, you know, we're not immune to, you know, dying the good death here. And so, um, and, uh, but, you know, we're very good in finding ways to make ends meet and finding business models where other people struggled. And so, uh, yeah, we'll, we're, we'll intend to be around and, but, you know, it's, 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 it's the best and the worst <laughs> of my life. Yep. Yeah, I can uh, I can echo that for sure. It, extremely fascinating. I think the frustration is like you can see what it could become, but the path to getting there is not obvious. Yeah. But, you know, I think we're getting closer. And I think um, uh, situations like the current crisis will accelerate adoption over time. And so... Uh, that's the way I look at it. Yeah, super excited. I can't wait to see where it goes. I, I agree 100% that this gives us a unique opportunity to really get into conversations where we might have struggled before with, well, what we have works. And sure, it works when everything's you know going well. And if you don't need to do cross-border payments as urgently um, or microtransactions, so you don't have to combine, or I guess the combination of proof of identity with payments isn't that much of a problem and now all of a sudden those things are front and center very obviously problems um which i think were always issues underneath the surface but there was like a base layer of equality that we might have all had or wealth um that's kind of been stripped away and it's 
it's just so obvious that this thing needs to be revitalized and rethought and rerun. Um, and then you have all of these companies that have been kind of building these things on the side, uh, really trying to make them work, but there wasn't the impetus or the energy behind let's make sure these things get adopted that I feel like really does exist now. And it's just capitalizing on those opportunities, getting into those meetings and conversations with the products that we've always had. It's just now we have an audience that's eager and, and needs to listen to what we have to say. Um, because I think general populace, like the voting power of, of individuals in democracies is going to start pushing towards like, we need these kinds of services and tools. So make sure you put regulation in place that allows for the creation of these services and the adoption of these services in ways that it wasn't urgent that those things happen before. Yeah, couldn't agree more. All right. Well, thanks so much. I really appreciate um, you jumping on, taking the time. Um, I learned a lot. Uh, hope to see you around in the Stellar discussions as we start to think about uh, monetization and as the Stellar ecosystem grows and these problems of um, the growing pains become more painful, I guess, uh, and more urgent to address. Yeah, we love that. And and so, as I said, we're psyched about Stellar. I think it's, it's one of the, it, it's, Interestingly enough, one of the projects that I think doesn't has the biggest uh, uh, distance to the praise it should get, and that it actually gets, uh, for the technical setup. Um, and I think um, it's interesting because other projects generate a lot more hype and stuff, and Stella actually has really outstanding tech, you know. And so I, I I'm always curious, you know, how how yeah, you know, could Stella be more? Um, um, evolved and, and recognized in the space if there'd be more focus on pushing that message out you know and so and some of that is via incentivizing more network participation and 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 but i don't want to say as you said you know it's not necessarily the best mechanism but it definitely drives um uh, investor interest and adoption and so uh you know in, inviting other participants to participate in the value creation obviously you know kind of when you want to create a gold rush um, then, um, you know, allowing people to um, take part in that is powerful. And I think, you know, so, so there's so much talk and I mean, we're involved in all these discussions with the, all the big projects and coin, like all the large exchanges and investors. And of course, they always move to the next sort of bigger thing where they can allocate value, you know? And so, um, and so, yeah. And so I, I think it'll be interesting how that looks like there's networks like Cielo, where the network economics for participation are really, really interesting for companies to uh, insert liquidity as well as building core infrastructure on it. And so I think you do have to keep that in mind and consider it because most of the participants in your ecosystem are blockchain ecosystem participants. You know, they look at other chains as well and everyone is struggling to stay alive. So people will always chase returns um, until, you know, the business changes fundamentally. All right, well, thanks so much again for um, chatting and, uh, and we'll catch you later. Sounds good, thank you, bye. For more information about Stellar and the future of decentralized finance, visit Stellar.org. Get involved in the discussion in one of our active communities on Keybase at Stellar.public or Stellar Stack Exchange. Until next time, I'm your host, Tyler Vanderhoeven. We'll catch y'all later.